Problems are everywhere in veterinary practice, but aren't the solutions there too? This week, we've got an expert to discuss how you can move toward being more solutions-oriented on the Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And there is no shortage of problems that we like to talk about in the veterinary profession and in our own daily lives. But really, we like to focus on the solutions. How do we fix the problems? And this week, we've got a very special guest to talk to you and us about how we can be more solutions oriented. But before we get into that special guest, as always, I am your co-host, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And I'm really excited to have today's guest on to have a, a conversation with us today because every time I get a chance to run into her at a veterinary conference or, you know, um, mostly at the bar, let's just be honest, but to get a few minutes to just talk, I I'm always inspired. And the last time I ran into our guest, Miss Catherine Haskins, we started talking about solution-driven. Miss Catherine, thank you for being here. Oh, it is my pleasure. We should be doing this in the evening so we all could have a beverage while we're doing Oh, wait, we're not supposed to? <laughs> we certainly could. We never ask what's in your cup. We've learned a long You're time right. ago. And that's exactly right. And that kind of brings us a little bit to how you got here today, right? And so um, you are a, a leader in the veterinary industry and getting voices out there. But, you know, tell us a little bit about your background, how you got here, and then how you and I ended up talking about becoming solution driven and why it's important. Oh, sure. I have a, a, as much, uh, or as many, I should say, as the veterinary industry has. We all have interesting stories on how we got here today. And mine actually begins with my career started in funeral service. And I actually worked for a public relations and advertising organization that represented funeral homes all across the world. And I used to always say that if I can sell death, I can sell anything. And little <laughs> did I know that that actually would do me very well in life. Um, and as my life carried me forward, that was in Springfield, Illinois, I ended up moving to Tallahassee, Florida and uh, took a job with one of the largest um, hospitality companies in the world uh, for public relations and was very fortunate to travel all over and do travel and tourism. And it was fantastic. But then as happens to all of us, something changes in our lives, i.e. got married, had a baby. And my husband ended up moving us to Kansas City. And I was super fortunate to get a job with um, Fleshman Hillard and ended up uh, having my first day on the job. They ended up hiring me in their food and agricultural division, of which I knew nothing about. What was really funny when they interviewed me, they said, hey, we're going to move you into this department. And I said, other than growing up in Iowa, in the city, Des Moines, uh, and watching my dad mow the lawn, that is about the extent of my agriculture background. And they said, no worries, no worries, it's all going to be good. And my very first day on the job, I ended up meeting Bear Animal Health. It was an amazing experience. Um, I got deeply seated into uh, parasiticides and was able at that time to meet so many amazing professionals within the industry as I started working on the early days of the microchipping 
uh, effort. And so was it so fortunate to meet folks like Ralph Johnson, et cetera, who really were able to take me under their wing and to be able to help educate me on the profession. Um, so fast forward, um, I led the PLs uh, for both Fleshman Hillard and Edelman in animal health as a result of all my experience. And then about five years ago, um, I decided that I wanted to do more in the profession, but not necessarily in the way that I was doing it uh, with these organizations. So I left my job and hung my own shingle. And then about two years ago, or yeah, two and a half, two and a half years ago, Brenda Andreessen, who is one of the most amazing people in the profession, approached me about doing something together. And I can give the background on, on the Full Bridge Club here in a little bit, but we wanted to do something where we could unite the profession together. And the Bridge Club is that entity. And so she and I co-founded it for the profession. And so today I'm the co-founder of the Bridge Club. And oftentimes, you know, we are at the bar because that's what the Bridge Club does. <laughs> we are definitely always there. But our big, our big mission is to really connect, engage, learn, and grow together as a profession so that we have somewhere and some place that we can all gather as a means to be able to bring this profession together. Well, and I think it's so important. And we actually had Miss Brenda on as a guest in the past, and we were not able to coordinate our schedules to get you at the same time. And we've talked about the amazing thing that the Bridge Club does, and it ties into another podcast we did in the past, just talking about how we make social connections in general. Right. And, you know, I think when we make those social connections, we start having these really important conversations. And an important conversation you and I started to have was being more solution driven, being more positive, approaching practice based and veterinary based problems. But really, really, how do we find the solutions and, and really focus on that? Right. Absolutely. I think, you know, several years ago, we kind of uh, raised our hands in the profession. And if I remember correctly, it was uh, Rhonda Haven with the AVMA said, you know, Houston, we have a problem. And it was the notion that within the profession, we were having a problem in one specific category. But I think then what occurred soon after that was every other problem in the profession started to bubble up. You know, we have a high suicide rate. We've got real challenges with compassion fatigue. We've got revenue issues. We've got the decline of pets coming into practice. And you can go on and on about the, the amount of issues that we have. And one of the things that Brenda and I really are trying to do is bring realistic solutions to the table. The notion being that we can't just simply indicate that we have a veterinary shortage and then everyone just kind of stick their head in the sand and, and hope and pray that new uh, veterinarians will just join our profession. Well, uh, Dr. Ward, as yeah. you well know better than anyone, that takes some education and some time. <laughs> right, right. So what are we going to actually do about it today versus waiting the four years? Or my bigger challenge and Brenda's bigger challenge is I'm not a big complainer. I want to make sure that we're finding ways to solve so people can tackle the next challenge or the next challenge after that. I don't want to get derailed too much into solving the world's massive problems, right? Because at the end of the day, those are much more complex and, and a bit overwhelming, quite frankly. So let's talk about the daily practice. That's that's really where these types of approaches and strategies become more salient, at least in my opinion. I'd love to be able to solve student debt and, and work force shortages. But what I can deal with is why are we running out of paper towels? So let, let's walk through that. Becky, let's set us up with a, a common scenario that, you know, veterinary technicians are frustrated with. And then, you know, I'll play sort of the manager owner role or whatever. 
Okay, so definitely I think that there are in general a, a ton of things to choose from, but staffing seems to be one of the number one. Always feeling short-staffed or feeling right. as though somebody is always going to get called in on their day off because they can't just relax because somebody's kid's going to get sick, something's going to happen to a car. There's never enough people. Right. So so now the problem here in the daily practice is we don't have enough people. Now, there's two things that as the owner, you know, we have to first of all say, okay, how do we address this? We can do two things, right? In life, you always have two choices. And, you know, you can be the chump or the hero. And the chump <laughs> play right here, Becky, would be to go, what, Becky, is Jones out again? Are you kidding me? I mean, this is, what is this, like three times in the past month, right? So we can commiserate with them. We can go right down to that level and just, again, not try to solve the problem, but maybe make us and them feel a little better in that moment. Now, it doesn't make it better long term. It doesn't fix it, but it does sometimes make people, you know, okay, I, I was hurt or whatever. And the danger with that, if you're a manager, owner, or leader today, that is often the first instinct is to say, oh, gosh, Becky, I am so sorry. Dang, what is this third time in a month for Joan? But what we really have to do is say, what is the solution here? So what we've got to find out is, Becky, is this a legitimate concern? Like, do we really need Joan? Like right now in this moment, do we not have the resources? And that's a mindset. So every time, you know, I think for me, whenever we were talking about this, this topic, I said, look, for me, every time when there is a quote unquote problem thrown at me, the first thing I try to decide is, is this something that I need to address like right now? Is it a real problem? Because Becky, a lot of times it's not that big of a problem, right? Sure. And, and I think you're right. I think addressing and measuring it is important because sometimes being reactive in the moment, it, it's not going to get us anywhere. And Miss Catherine, when, when a general practice identifies an area, when there's a problem, something like this example, what are the first steps they should take? Well, the first thing that they need to really do, I think, is, is look at the humanity versus the business, right? So in this particular circumstance, we know we have an employee that we may like or have challenges with. So our, our uh, compassion and wanting to make sure that that person's taken care of, uh, that type of, of emotional or empathy side of us, we do need to address it. Because I think that in business, sometimes we completely avoid the empathy side. The other side is you do have to actually really look at the business. And that's the hardest part to do because we know as veterinarians and practitioners in general, that's one of the hardest things to do is look at the business. Is this jeopardizing me keeping potentially a, another technician or another doctor because of the amount of time that this individual happens to be calling in sick? Right, right. So it is on retention of others, et cetera. But when the best time to address a problem is before it actually occurs. And I think that's probably the greatest piece of advice that I can give. We all know we're going to have staffing issues. We all know that there's going to be supply issues within the practice. There's going to be challenges with generating more patients coming in the door. So what can you be doing on the front end in order to make sure that you've got options when those uh, challenges do occur? One thing Dr. Ernie used to talk about in his practice that he did I really loved was having you know, the problem pad and having notepads where whenever anything came up, an, an individual could record what happened, put it in the notepad, and then they could kind of talk about it and identify what that cause was, right? And so it was something that gave them the ability to maybe not get right in front of it, right? Because we actually have to see it to identify it. But as soon as it was noted as something that could be a problem, instead of continually beating the drum, we're always out of 25s. Why are, are there never 25s? They really sat down as a team and addressed it and said, okay, what could we do to do this better? Yeah, because one of the things, at least in my experience, Catherine, is 
the problem spotters are incredibly valuable because it's usually a cumulative effect. Mm -hmm. So like running out of the 25 gauge needles is part of a bigger failure somewhere else, right? So in addition to not ordering our needles and syringes on time, we're also leaving out vacutainers, right? So so I, what I found was that those people that start to say, hey, Dr. Ward, we continue, like we're running out of 25s, like our 25 gauge needles in this case. We're running out of 25s, you know, that should allow the manager or whomever is in charge of the ordering to go back and say, what else maybe have we not identified? So problem spotting is very important. But again, I love the fact that you say you always, you know, have to be empathetic with that response as they're just going, holy smokes, why do you guys keep running out of 25s? You know, there's so many ways you can spin that negatively where people stop spotting. Yeah, I do love that too, right? Like whether it's a person problem or an inventory problem or, you know, an, an external problem, being empathetic to the situation instead of placing blame or being shameful is super important. And, and I think that has to be at the forefront of everything. So thanks for bringing it up. So I guess one of the things that I love about Dr. Ward's advice there, and more importantly, because one of our biggest challenges in the entire profession is the ability to have staffing solutions. And if you are incorporating the staff in helping one identify the problem and solving the problem, you're increasing your ability to keep the retention rate higher. They're a part of the organization and they're being able to solve the pain points together versus being dictated to what those pain points can be. So in some, it doesn't happen in every situation, but in majority of situations, turning to those that are the engine of that practice really can be incredibly helpful. Yeah. And, and for me also, I've always viewed it this way, that when people are raising their hand and saying, hey, there's a problem. Hey, you know, Emma's out for the third time in the month, whatever those things are, they're actually looking to leadership to solve it. Right. So so again, I know we're getting solutions, but that's what they're desperate. And so I think sometimes if we aren't empathetic, if we aren't listening, if we aren't thankful and grateful that they brought this up, if we aren't somehow saying we're going to fix this for you, then the whole thing just devolves very quickly. So if you're listening today and when a staff member comes up to you, even if you're not a manager, owner, or a leader per se, just they're sharing this with you. Remember that when people share a problem with you, that is an opportunity for you to make it better for them. And I think that's kind of what they really, really want. They're bringing this up because they want somebody yeah. to make it better for them. Absolutely. It makes me want to pull apart more of the how then. So right. when we talk about, okay, now we've, we've recognized that this is something we want to get in front of. It's it's never going to be the solution everybody wants. It's never going to be the thing that everyone's happy with. And, right. and I feel like, and I don't want to pick on the veterinary industry. I really don't. But I feel like in a lot of my experiences, people are super resistant to change. Yeah. Yes. For sure. I would say change management. I think that there should be some sort of mandatory life lesson for all human beings, not just in the profession on how to deal with change. I don't think yeah. any time in the profession has more change been prevalent than it is right now. And it's coming from all different sectors. So I think that we're actually be having change fatigue. Uh, we talk about compassion fatigue, but I think we're having change fatigue from sure. technology to generational behaviors and attitudes, I think it's a lot for professionals to take on. Yeah. And 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 it's reflected in society at large. So I, I agree with you, Becky. This is not just the vet profession. This is really, you're just waking up every day and, and everything seems to be flipping and flopping around on you. And, and you feel a little bit, again, getting back to that helplessness and out of control, what people really want, especially during turbulent times, no matter if they made them or not, when things are in turbulence, people want to know, you know what, if I just get this far, it's going to smooth out. 
Yeah. You know, it's so funny. I talk about decision fatigue. We talk about compassion fatigue. I've never really totally thought about change fatigue and how it is forced upon us. And as much as we may or may not like change, we're, we're riding along this this wave no matter what we want. So what I hear is one of the best things we can do to implement change within the practice is to include everybody and to try to find some pieces, parts of a solution that everybody has to offer and at least feels like they have some sort of say in in what that change is going to be. So they keep some semblance of control. Yes, absolutely. And, and one thing I want to just piggyback on that uh, real quick, Becky, is I've also always viewed and I do want to I, I agree, we've got to unpack the house and I've got some some suggestions there. But we are an adaptive species. So like for me, the beauty of all of this is that when somebody says Jones out again, we can adapt. We can adapt in the moment and we can adapt going forward. So that's the beauty of this. We aren't locked into one particular pattern of behavior. We can change. And even though we kind of mentioned this change fatigue, I kind of push back a little bit on that term because that's how we evolve. That's how we progress. And so I don't want us to ever think in terms of, oh my gosh, another change is coming (laughs) because that actually is what makes the world a little better, in my opinion. Sure, but with with the lack of control in as it comes, it can be exhausting sometimes. Right. And, and I think right. there are places that we look for safety, right? And work is one of them. Miss Catherine, what do, you, what do you think about that? How does that reflect in how we work with our teams? So I think the, the anxiety um, can be uh, palpable, right? So if you are dealing with multiple changes and multiple pressures, it can actually affect the culture of, of the entire hospital. And so I think that that's really critical to prioritize the changes that you can address at the time and which are going to have the greatest impact on the staff. And then highlight those so that the staff is aware what is what is evolving and changing. Or if you're making the smallest change that people really can't uh, get their arms wrapped around, how can that be communicated back so that they understand that change is evolving? Because, you know, often there's always the common complaint of nothing ever changes. Everything is, you know, we're, we've got all these things. I don't see anything evolving. And the opportunity is if you do make a change, be sure you're communicating that change so that everyone knows what is what is coming and that something has moved forward, I think is really critical within a culture. Sure. And, and how much how much transparency is required there? It's something we talk about a lot. Is is it really important for a practice to say this is why we're changing? This is why we're moving in this direction. Um, is it is it really necessary? How can we make it most comfortable, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. What people when the anxiety and fear arrives when people feel that they are not in control. What people really want in any situation is to feel that they are in control somehow, somewhat of their destiny. And this is where communication is paramount. So let's say that you are shifting your your schedule, you are shifting your charges, you are shifting your hiring principles or, or even how you do performance reviews. You're shifting stuff, right? You can't just do it unilaterally. You have to always involve your team and you have to say, this is what I'm thinking about doing. You have to invite them in for collaboration. Okay. That's, that's that sense of I'm empowered here. So we're thinking about, you know, we're having issues with employees not showing up, you know, and this last minute kind of call in six or, or, you know, I need to take the day off, whatever it's, it's affecting our ability to provide client care. So what I'm looking for 
is help with you guys. I, I need some help. Here's what I'm thinking. Then you lay out your plan, but again, that you've allowed them to at least feel that they're in somewhat control of what's about to happen. I don't know, Catherine, does that make sense to you what I'm trying to articulate? That makes complete sense. Anytime we can empower or get them engaged in the process is really critically important. And coming back to a little bit of what Becky was asking with regards to how much transparency, that is really based on you know, the practice itself. Some practices are fully transparent all the way down to, you know, the cost factors, et cetera, et cetera. Others are not. I think the reality is whenever you're sharing information, remember what it is that the end user wants to hear. They want to know how it's going to impact them and why it's happening. Right. And so right. it's less about, I need to do this because I need that. It is more about what does this mean for the person you're making the change for and what's the impact on them versus it's just the way that this is going to be. Um, that's probably the biggest shift that people need to make is recognizing you're talking to a human being that all they're hearing that is coming out of your mouth is what does this mean for yeah. them? Yeah. Yep. And that's probably the hardest. The one thing I would also add in all of this is you're going through these changes. I do think it's really critically important for everyone to be able to go to a trusted resource whether you're seeking your employees to go to a trusted resource, i.e. if they're a technician and they've got a, a group that they can go to and get other ideas from, or if it is the idea that you're going to be going to an AVMA resource or an AHA resource, the idea that getting a third party's input on challenges that are bigger for the practice, not cultural changes per se, but things that could be about why don't we have uh, this supply and how can we can make sure that we're managing what's happening in our supply chain things of that nature, having an external point of view is incredibly powerful. This is one of the reasons that, that all the resources exist in the profession is so that people have an additional, as I always say, the non-Kool-Aid drinkers giving a, uh, you insight so that they're not stuck into what is happening in the profession. I mean, in your practice. Right. But I'd like to circle back because, you know, the, we're trying to talk about being solutions oriented. This is a mindset. Mm -hmm. and, and so right now, I think that most of us, <laughs> most of us go through life being very problem oriented. And mm -hmm. so we are looking out for the things that are going to go wrong and the things that are going to fall apart and where we're going to make a mistake. And, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be embarrassed and people aren't going to like me. Right. That's sort of the way a lot of us go through life. And it's really hard to make meaningful change, both personally and with those around you, if you're always looking at, oh, my gosh, the failure points. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm also looking for today is a little bit of discussion of, of shifting the mindset so that when you see a problem, an issue, you instantly pivot. I mean, it's, a, it's an immediate transaction mentally that says, no, this is just an opportunity. This is a way to make something better. And I think that's really what distinguishes the very successful from the people that, you know, just sort of do an okay job. So Catherine, talk about shifting the mindset to being, you know, to being solutions oriented. So I think the best way to look at it is if you're holding your hand over the fire, do you just want to keep holding your hand over the fire and feeling that uncomfortability? And the notion by simply saying, is there a better way, pull my hand further away from the fire, pull my hand completely away from the fire, that I would actually have comfort. There is true comfort in knowing that there are opportunities out there that could actually not only solve a current challenge, but make things 100% better. And so if you just realize, do you want to keep having your hand on the fire or do you want to be able to have that issue gone, is people have to shift their mind of saying everything. There is always an option. 
always an option and you just have to be able to be willing to listen to it. Well, well, let me run to that metaphor just a little longer. I think a lot of listeners out there, they say, look, you know, somebody's holding my hand to the fire. I'm an employee. You know, I don't have real control over how I move my hand out of there. Now, I totally disagree with that because I think, honestly, the person that is holding your hand to the fire, I think the first and foremost thing is they may not know that it burns. Right. Yes. So so even though you feel like your hand is hold, held over the fire and it's burning you, the the person who's holding it, your boss, your manager, your whatever, you have to, it is your responsibility, first and foremost, to say, hey, this hurts. Right. And yeah. Becky, this is we how many times on this podcast do we have to keep saying this. When you are uncomfortable, when there's something in your practice that you don't like, it is your duty and obligation to speak up. Doesn't matter how many more we have to say it. It's our responsibility to keep saying it right until everyone hears it. And and that's what we'll do, because it's not always as easy as that for everybody. And and confrontation is so hard. And that's why we're here cheerleading you. That's why we're here with Miss Catherine saying, Miss Catherine, you tell us how you do it in your words, because ours will never be right for everybody. We will not have the right answer for every situation. And the more we talk about this, the more we help people say whatever role you play, there are ways to approach being solution driven and having mindsets and implementing change and and making your practice culture better, which, you know, is a drum we beat every week. Then then that's how we're going to help everyone out there find that, which is going to increase that satisfaction. It's going to decrease, you know, the attrition rate for technicians. It's going to decrease our compassion fatigue. It's going to help change our industry. So, Catherine, that's a great jump off point. How would you explain to that employee who feels like, yes, my boss is holding my hands to the fire and it's burning and I've got a problem with employees not showing up and we're running out of supplies. What advice can you give to that employee to be able to turn this and and talk to their boss in an open, authentic fashion, you know, so that they feel like they can actually get something done for once? Like, so how do they start that conversation? They're listening today and they're going, it's not that easy. You don't know my boss. What advice? So I think it's twofold. First, most people who've said that said, I've tried talking to my boss and he won't listen or she won't listen, right? So the first one is I've done it. It's not moving forward. So for that employee in that particular circumstance, you've already put yourself into feeling as though you're set up for failure. And so that nothing more can be more devastating than thinking you're not going to be able to make inroads. What I would encourage you to look at is how have you had that conversation? Has it been, as, as Becky had said a few moments ago, confrontational Or has it been very solution-driven? Are you offering more than one solution? Are you offering a singular solution that's got financial impact? So those are things that sometimes change the way someone will look and hear you. And then for those people that have actually uh, haven't raised their hand yet, I would offer the same advice. Really be looking at who you're taking the information to. Are you simply coming in and saying, "I'm, I'm fed up, I've worked too hard, I'm the one pulling all the extra hours, so-and-so is never coming into work. Is that going to take you further or is it going to be an opportunity to say, you know, should we be looking at additional resources that we have that we can call on on the spot when we do have this? How can we adjust this so that it's going to be more beneficial for the rest of the employees? So it's not as directed at how it's impacting you, but the culture as well. Um, But solutions coming with one or two solutions demonstrates that you've thought through the process, that this is truly a pain point, that you're feeling that this is going to impact the the practice overall. So that's the beginnings of where I would start. I mean, I think that we could probably, you know, hammer this away all day because, again, it's it's an important topic to look at and, and it's something we have to empower 
every member of our team to feel like within the clinic, they can bring up things that need a solution, right? So even just using our, our terminology, instead of saying, what are the problems we can, we can even just tell our teams, let's start looking for things that need a solution. And I appreciate that yeah. you take the time to do that. Um, and, and by all means to, you know, um, check out the bridge club, check out the social networking opportunity that is there. Use the opportunities to come out and meet these ladies at events. If you're there, because they are really, um, creating an opportunity to crowdsource for, for solutions. And there's a lot of solutions out there because we've all had different experiences. And Miss Catherine, thank you so much for taking the time today to share the solutions that you have, your thought processes and your journey with us. Well, I appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun. And yeah, please come on over to the Bridge Club. We want to see you all. And Catherine, tell us how they can reach you at the Bridge Club. All you have to do is go to thebridgeclub.com and on there we have a list of opportunities. What makes the Bridge Club so unique and different is you actually have to turn on your camera. So when I said I'll see you at the Bridge Club, I do mean that. I want to see you. Uh, and so you'll find our list of events, both live and virtual. Cool. Yeah, Very it's cool. a lot of fun. If you've not checked it out, I think of you regularly when I sit for my Bridge Club glass and the, the fun experience. And they have a few more months to... Um, get a really great deal to join, right? Absolutely. So this year it is $20.19. It is free to attend any of our virtual events, but if you miss one or you want to have access to our entire library of about 70 hours of content, that's what the uh, uh, membership fee of the $20.19 and you can join on our website. Wow. And are there any other resources you have out there that you love for helping clinics to find solutions? Well, it all depends on what the issues are because there's a long list of them. But if they're, if you're having a challenge, you're listening to this, I encourage you to send me an email. I'll be happy to connect you with a multitude of opportunities out there, people to talk to individually or actual tools. And give us that email. Uh, that would be Catherine. So C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E at thebridgeclub.com. Wow, it doesn't get any easier than that. Well, Catherine, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I know our listeners uh, definitely got a lot of good information and advice out of this. I mean, at the end of the day, honestly, the switch from being problem-oriented to solution-oriented is right there in between those two ears of yours. So use that beautiful brain to actually change the way you view the world around you, and you will suddenly start to see there are opportunities everywhere. On behalf of everybody here, at the Veterinary Viewfinder. It's been our pleasure once again to host you. Make sure you find us on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. Let us know what you think and what are some of your ways to get past problems and towards solutions. We really want to hear from you. That's right. And you can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. If you get a chance, head over to Apple iTunes, leave us a review and some stars. We want to hear what you have to say. And while you're there, don't forget to click to subscribe so you don't miss one great episode of the Veterinary Viewfinder. Until next time. Bye. 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 Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right on time. <laughs>